0: This morning we're taking a little bit of a break still from uh, from James, and then next week is Palm Sunday, and then the week after that is Easter Sunday, so we we'll probably won't be back in James until uh, the 12th. So if you have your Bibles this morning, open up. Uh, we're going to start in Revelation chapter 2, um, really quickly, uh, just so you know, it's The words aren't going to be up, it's just a title slide that's going to be up there for the rest of the morning. Uh, So we'll be in Revelation 2 this morning. We're going to jump around the Bible a little bit. Um, Fun fact, if you're into the book of Revelation at all, uh, there's no S at the end. It's just called Revelation. Uh, I didn't know that until my first year of Bible college. uh, When everyone, all the freshmen are, oh, Revelation 6. Well, no, there's no S. Just a no, or just an N. So anyways, Revelation chapter 2, we're going to start there. Uh, I'm going to pray before we do that, and then we will get get right to it. Father God, thank you so much for gathering us here this morning again to hear from your word, uh, to hear what you would say to us this morning, what you would say to this church. Uh, I pray that you would be with me this morning as I speak, that my words would be true, uh, that they would come from scripture, and that they would have meaning for us today. Lord, thank you that you've loved us, that you loved us from the cross, and that you loved us from your sacrifice. Be with us this morning as we seek to learn how to be faithful to you and love you more, and as we seek to learn what your desire is for the future of this church. That's in your name I pray. Amen. So Revelation 2, starting in verse 1. To the angel of the church in Ephesus, write, that you have abandoned the love you had at first. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the works you did at first. If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. Yet this you have. You hate the works of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. So he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches, to the one who conquers, I will grant to eat at the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. So Ephesians 2 is the first letter of seven to seven churches that when John, the author of Revelation, received his vision, was told to write. Jesus had a message for seven churches. The first one was Ephesus. The second one is Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, I want to get them in the right order. And then the last one's Laodicea. So these seven letters to these seven churches all have something in common. All seven of these churches needed to change something, they all needed to change something they were doing because there's something they were doing that they weren't doing right. Here's the story of the church in Ephesus Ephesus had good doctrine. Ephesus had excellent doctrine. We see that in the first few verses, right? You cannot bear those who are evil. You've tested those who call themselves apostles and are not. You find them to be false. You hate the teaching of the Nicolaitans, which is a whole other theme in the book that we're not going to have time to get into this morning. So the church in Ephesus has good, solid, biblical understanding. They have good, solid doctrine. They believe things that are true. They know the truth. But there's something they don't have. Verse 4. But I have this against you. That you have abandoned the love you had at first. It's very similar to what we've been learning in James, isn't it? They had knowledge. They had faith in what was true. But they didn't have the works to back it up. All they did was sit in their churches and have arguments about theology, arguments about doctrine, and they grew in truth, but they regressed in love. Verse 5, remember therefore, we're from where you have fallen, so they had it. At one point they had it. They had both. They had good doctrine, they knew what to believe, they believed it, and then it lived itself out in how they lived. But they lost it. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen. Remember where you started, and now repent. And do the works you did at first. So Jesus is telling the church in Ephesus: This is what you were. This is what you've become. This is what's different. What needs to change. And this is why repentance is necessary for you to move forward. Here's, 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 here's where he goes from there. Um, I'm going to give you a story. Those of you who have toddlers know where I'm coming from with this. okay? If I tell Chloe, hey, give me that. She's holding on to, I don't know, something, a toy. Give me that toy. She doesn't want to give it to me. Chloe, give me the toy. No. (laughs) Chloe, give me the toy. And then I start to count. Right? One, two, three. At three i take it from her so she's got a chance to repent although we wouldn't call it that yet she's got a chance to repent of her sin of not obeying her father and give me the toy or else i will take it away from her because i'm her father that's what i do but she knows that's going to happen right give me the toy no give me the toy no give me the toy or i'm taking it away from you one and i rarely get past one because she knows She knows I'm not bluffing. This is what Jesus is doing to the church in Ephesus. Repent. Follow me. Find the love you had at first. Do the works you had at first. Or I will take away your lampstand. Which is apocalyptic um, metaphor for you won't be a church anymore. There's seven letters to seven churches and there's seven lampstands, right? Right? I will take away your lampstand, Ephesus, and I'll give it to someone else. The church of Jesus Christ will never die, but lampstands get taken away all the time. Churches close. Local churches close. Doors close. So that's the message that Jesus has for the church at Ephesus. And here's, here, I mean, Jesus is not afraid to close churches for his glory if people don't repent. And if you don't, if you need more proof than that, Flip over to Matthew chapter 13, it's page, uh, page 818 if you're using a pew Bible, 818. We're going to start in verse 10, go to verse 17. Then the disciples came to him and asked, why do you speak to them in parables? The prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled that says, You will indeed hear, but never understand, and you will indeed see, but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull, and with their ears they can barely hear, and their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and understand with their heart, and turn, and I would heal them. But blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. For truly, I say to you, many prophets and righteous people longed to see what you see, and did not see it. And hear what you hear and did not hear it. That verse he quotes from Isaiah, that's right after Isaiah's commission. Right? We've talked about this before. Isaiah chapter 6 verse 8 is um, the, the commissioning of Isaiah to go and be a prophet. And God says, whom shall I send? And Isaiah jumps up, send me, send me. And God says, okay, but where you go, they will hear, but not hear. They won't understand. They'll see, but they won't perceive. And you're going to have a hard slog your entire life as a prophet. And he did. And here Jesus is quoting that. And he says, this is, this is what happens. I mean, people see and they don't understand. They, sorry, they hear and they don't un- understand. They see and they don't perceive. Because their hearts have grown dull. Because people's hearts have grown dull. And what happens is, those who have much... And steward it well, more will be given. And those who have little and don't steward it well, it will be taken away. That's the way that it is. Give you one more Um, Romans. Go to Romans 11, page 947 if you're in the Black Bibles. Romans 11, starting at verse 17. But some of the branches were broken off. And you, although a wild olive shoot, this is Paul talking to Gentiles, you, a wild olive shoot, were grafted in among the others and now share in the nourishing root of the olive tree. So he's talking about Gentiles being grafted into the nation of Israel. Okay, being grafted into the people of God. Do not be arrogant toward the branches. If you are, remember it is not you who support the root, but the root that supports you. Then you will say, branches were broken off so that I might be grafted in, and that's true. They were broken off because of their unbelief. But you stand fast through faith, so do not become proud, but fear. For if God did not spare the natural branches, if God did not spare Israel, neither will he spare you. You're not safe. Note then the kindness and the severity of God. Severity towards those who have fallen, but God's kindness to you, provided you continue in his kindness. Otherwise, you too will be cut off. And even they, if they do not continue in their unbelief, will be grafted in, for God has the power to graft them in again. For if you were cut off from what is by nature a wild olive tree, and grafted contrary to nature into a cultivated olive tree how much more will those the natural branches be grafted back into their own olive tree so here's what Paul's talking about because he's speaking in metaphor okay the olive tree is Israel the people of the, the old testament people of god who were expecting a, uh, expecting a messiah expecting a savior they got jesus they didn't believe him had him killed and so God breaks the branches off and throws them into the fire because of their unbelief. The wild olive that gets grafted in, that's Gentiles. That's, that's you and me. That's, that, that's us. We get grafted into the nation, to the people of God, right? We're, we're adopted into God's family. Grafts us in. But because we're grafted in doesn't make us safe. So again and again in the Bible, you see this this refrain that God is sovereign. God loves us. He grafts us in, but he's not afraid to take away our lampstand. He's not afraid to close churches. He's not afraid to break branches off and throw them into the fire if they're not fruitful. We are, as a church, at a crossroads right now. We've gone for a very long time without seeing fruit. Without seeing God's kingdom expand. Without seeing people go from unfaith to faith. Without seeing people move from life to death. Without seeing people, in a word, get saved. God's not shy to say that if you don't bear fruit, there are consequences. So, A few days ago I stood over there in this room and I and I and I showed us, I I gave us six options for the church. And if you were here, then you know what I'm talking about, and you're gonna hear them again. If you weren't here, then you get to hear them for the first time. And we want you to, to pray about these and think about these as an option for where we're going next. Something has to change in this church. Something has to give. And it has to be our comfort. And it has to be the idol that we have in this building. So we have six options. We have seven. But we have six good ones. Number one is we can just rebrand the church. We can just change the name. Fresh coat of paint. Change the name on the sign. Change the name on that sign. We'll call ourselves, I don't know. What was the one we came up with? Valley Fellowship Church? Call ourselves that from now on. Just change the name. I've said this to a few of you. I, I think that's a good start. But this town is too small. And we're all too well known for that to be effective. Because if nothing else changes within these walls, all we've done is slap a coat of paint on a piece of rotten wood. That's number one. Number two is what, what I'm calling the fishing trip. I'll go to a couple churches that have... That have Volunteer to partner with us. To send good, solid people to us for a period of time, a year or two. To serve, to love, to take care of, to minister to us, with us, for Eganville. I'll I'll tell you, I'm looking for seven to ten families. If it's less than that, I'm not interested. It's not enough. So we get some fresh blood to come in to reinvigorate the life of the church give some of our volunteers a break that they desperately need and give some people some space that they need as well so these local churches and congregations i can't share their names yet they agree to commission faithful members to our service to our mission and to the work in eganville they commit for a period of one or two years in order for the pressure to be taken off of the membership that's just the fishing trip in that case the name stays the same everything else stays the same we just bring in people who are going to help us and serve us number three is the rebranded fishing trip fishing trip which is just a combination of the first two right we change the name we bring in new people and because the name's changing we'd have to dissolve the membership with the new people and there's a whole bunch of details that come with that and so we'd basically be starting over from scratch with a new name and new people Number four is a satellite. So Eganville Baptist would close as a church. And then we would reopen as a satellite location for a different church in the area. Basically, we'd be handing over the keys. Our leadership board would cease to exist. Our budget would cease to exist. And we would operate as a satellite of a different church. They'd be a fellowship church. So there's a couple of local options, but we're not constrained to just local people. We can go a bit further away, somewhere in, in the, the OVA. So that's number four. And then that church would have authority to tell us what to do, which is a bit strange for a group of Baptists, but given where we're at, it's not necessarily a bad idea. Number five is from scratch. We close, we sell the building, and the money is used to start a new church plant in Eganville. Number six, I called number six legacy on the sheet. And if you've got one of these sheets uh, that you took home with you, that's what you've got. And there's a few more of those extras in the mailboxes uh, out there. I called it legacy. I had a conversation with someone later on this week, and and they, they basically convicted me that it's the wrong name. We shouldn't call it legacy. We should call it funeral. Church closes. Building is sold. We liquidate the assets that we can liquidate and then the, the money is given to Feb Central or the, the OVA to start a new work somewhere else. Those are our six options. Number seven is we do nothing. And I said this on Wednesday night. If we do nothing, option six will be forced on us sooner as opposed to later. I don't think we've got a year to think about this. I don't think we've got six months to think about this. We're free to do any of these. And we're free to do none of them. But if the longer we do nothing, the shorter our lease gets, the shorter our tether gets, and the more impatient our Lord gets with our unfaithfulness. And the lampstand will be taken away. Because he's done it before, and he says he'll do it again. Flip over to Ezekiel, chapter 15. It's page 702. There are consequences... For being faithless. So Ezekiel 15. Starting in verse 6. Therefore. Thus says the Lord God. Like the wood of the vine. Among the trees in the forest. Which I have given up. to To the fire for fuel. So I have given up the inhabitants of Jerusalem. And I will set my face against them. Though they escape from the fire, the fire shall yet consume them. And you will know that I am the Lord when I set my face against them. And I will make the land desolate because they have acted faithlessly, declares the Lord God. Now, we've got to do a little bit of work in this. Old Testament, the fruit of faithfulness to, from God's people, from God, was Land. Right, the promises are all based on the promised land. They're based on on the land, uh, the, the the land we call Israel. It's all based on land. Right, faithfulness results in peace in the land for the nation of Israel. That's Old Testament. New Testament is a little bit different, right? Because God's kingdom is not of this world. God's kingdom is of the heavens, and it will return. So. Faithfulness on God's people doesn't result in land anymore. It results in fruitfulness, in an expanding of the kingdom. When the kingdom expands, it's people. It's not land anymore, it's people. People who get saved. People who become believers. People who start to worship God. People who repent from sin and who repent and turn away from the emptiness that they try to fill their own hearts with. And fail. The Lord setting his face against you. Is a terrifying prospect. And if you're not terrified. By being. Against God. Then there's nothing in this world. That can scare you. And you're a fool. You just are. If you're not scared of God. If there's no fear of the Lord in your heart. You're a fool. Because he has the power of life and death. He can snuff us out in an instant. Every breath we take is an act of grace on his part. Because we don't deserve it. Though they escape from the fire, the fire shall yet consume them. And you will know that I am the Lord when I set my face against you. He can stack us up like kindling. And let him match. He wants us to be faithful. That's all. He wants us to be faithful to him. That's all. It's not, it's not a law. Considering what he's done for us, it's nothing. He wants us to be faithful to him. So he gives us an option. Flip over. A few pages, Hosea chapter 6, 754. The book of Hosea is an interesting book. If, if, if you're familiar with it, Hosea is a prophet who is told to go marry a prostitute. And then his entire life is a metaphor for God's relationship to the people of Israel. Right. Hosea plays the part of God as his prophet and his prostitute wife plays the part of Israel as the woman who constantly runs away. So here's what happens in Isaiah's life. Sorry, in in Hosea's life. Chapter six, verse one. Come, let us return to the Lord, for he has torn us that he may heal us. He has struck us down and he will build us up. After two days, he will revive us. On the third day, he will raise us up that we may live before him. Let us know, let us press on to know the Lord. He is going out, sure as the dawn. He will come to us as the showers, as the spring rains that water the earth. What shall I do with you, O Ephraim? What shall I do with you, O Judah? Your love is like a morning cloud, like the dew that goes away early. Therefore I have hewn them by the prophets. I have slain them by the words of my mouth. And my judgment goes forth as the light. For I desire steadfast love and not sacrifice. The knowledge of God rather than burnt offerings. So the first three verses, 1, 2, and 3. They give us hope. They give us hope. We can Always repent. As long as the Lord gives us the grace to breathe, we can always repent. Let us return to the Lord, for He has torn us, that He may heal us. He has struck us down, and He will build us up. He will revive us. He will raise us up, that we may live before Him. Let us press on to know the Lord, to know the Lord. In 4, 5, and 6, God talks about our hearts, right? What shall I do with you, Ephraim? What, what am I going to do with you, Judah? Your love is like a morning cloud. You're fickle. Things go your way. You love me. Praise the Lord. I got a, I, I, I got a promotion. I, I got a job. I, I, I have, I'm, I'm a father. I have a child. Praise God. Nine months later, Your child gets infantile spasms, a catastrophic form of childhood epilepsy. You go through in your mind all the options that could happen. She could be a vegetable. You'll never get to walk her down the aisle. You'll never get to see her married. She won't give you grandkids. And all of a sudden, it becomes very easy to get mad at God. Where are you? What's going on? Why this? Why me? Why now? Why? why? I don't, how can I love you? You're not, you're not taking care of me. God is bigger than your circumstances. He's bigger than my circumstances. And yes, by God's grace, my daughter is fine. By his mercy, she's okay. But even if she's not, even if she wasn't, even if she grows up and gets a different kind of epilepsy because she could, she's in a higher risk group. It doesn't change how faithful I choose to be with God. It doesn't change my life, it doesn't it doesn't change how I live. It doesn't change who I love. It doesn't change how big he is and how small I am. I don't want to be a cloud. I don't want to have the fickle love that Hosea describes here. That when things don't go my way, I turn my back on God. I don't want that. I want to have what Job had. Job loses his wife, loses his kids, loses his house, loses everything, everything but his life. He loses his health. Still has his life. What does he say? The Lord gives. The Lord takes away. Blessed be the name. That's what I want to be. That's who I want to be. Circumstances don't matter. Circumstances aren't aren't where our joy comes from. Our joy is in the Lord always, regardless of circumstances. And if your joy in the Lord is robbed because of your circumstances, praise God because he has exposed your hypocrisy. If you can't go through hardship, And worship God. You're not. The the God you're worshiping. Isn't God. Verse 6. For I desire steadfast love. And not sacrifice. The knowledge of God. Rather than burnt offerings. You know what's a question. That we get a lot about God. Why, why does God send people to hell? Right? If, if God really is sovereign, why doesn't he just make it so that everyone believes in him? He certainly has the power, certainly has the authority to do that, so why doesn't he just do it? Because I desire steadfast love and not sacrifice. God doesn't want robots. Robots who do what they're told because that's what they're programmed to do. He wants faithful servants who love him and act out of thankfulness to what he has done on the cross in Christ. That's what he wants. I want to be known by you. I want to be known by you. And those of you who don't know me, who claim to know me, And aren't faithful, I'm going to take your lampstand away. And it'll go somewhere else. And my kingdom will grow despite you. So I want to give you hope this morning. I don't want to just, you know. I'm not a fire and brimstone guy. You guys know that. I've been here for three years. I'm not not fire and brimstone. I want to be honest with you. This is where we're at. This is what's going on with us. This is what God has said. This is what he'll do. So I want to be honest with you. And I might be. I might be stepping a little bit close. To something I don't like doing. But I like to speculate. And I, I like to imagine. The message that God might have for us. If. If. John the Apostle were alive today and if he were receiving from the Lord a message for this church I almost want to imagine what it would sound like to the angel in the church in Eganville I know your history I know your pain I know your turmoil I know what you've been through For my sake, as a result of the unfaithfulness of others, I know. I know your patience and your endurance. But you have grown weary. And you have resigned yourself to a present reality. Repent. And believe. Have faith and stand firm. See what the Lord can And will do if only you repent. If only you chase after me and know me and are faithful and worship me in spirit and in truth. If only you worship me and not the church. I don't know. Does that sound like something he might say to you? I think it sounds like something he's saying to us. So we have a few weeks. We have a number of options. My option is not going to be rammed through. I want to hear from you. This isn't my church. I've been here for three years. Many of you have been here literally ten times that long or more. If you want this church to survive, it's on.